Hello and welcome to the latest Forever Blue podcast, a day later than normal because of City against Spurs on Sunday. Um, thanks very much for subscribing and downloading and all the rest of the things you do. And thanks very much to charleslouis.co.uk, Chartered Mortgage Advisors, State Agents and lots of other things for supporting this podcast because without you, without them, uh, there wouldn't be a podcast. Um, I've got a stellar lineup on the podcast today. We have... Um, and I, and, and I don't say this lightly, I, I spent a lot of time commentating on the radio and loved it. And if I could hand pick, and, and I don't want to offend any other ex-players who are listening to this, but if I could actually hand pick my, dare I say, my favourite, at the, certainly at the moment, my favourite co-summariser, a pundit who I love listening to, who's always on the mark, have I creeped enough? But it's true. This is all true. It would be Trevor Sinclair who joins us tonight. So, Trevor, thanks very much for joining us. I love listening to you. Keep up the good work. Really appreciate that, Ian, especially with the experience you've got in broadcasting. So I'm still relatively new to it, but I'm enjoying it. I'm trying to just be true to myself. Um, and sometimes that upsets a few people at City. I've had a little bit of abuse saying, what's what, you know, why are you against the club so much? I'm not against the club. I, I just I love the club. And uh, I try and be honest about it. And sometimes it, it goes against the grain a little bit. I know you love the club, but I also know that you're a man of integrity and honesty. And and you, you're such a positive person. You're such an enthusiastic person. Just love listening to you. Don't care what anybody says. That's my opinion. Thank you. Um, I've also got Nigel Klukas, who you might know as Wingman, who is the City Square DJ. He's been around for a while. That's why he's got a wizened grey beard, because we're talking on, <laughs> on Zoom. Um, but you're also another passionate blue, Nigel. Um, and yeah. it's a great honour to have you on the podcast. I think it's the first time you've been on, but I saw you out in uh, in Porto at the final, and it was yeah. great to see you um, and, and and sort of renew our acquaintanceship, because it's uh, it's been a while, hasn't it? Yeah, Alice, you no, know, thank you very much for the for the invite. I've been looking forward to this since you mentioned it. And uh, yeah, it's uh, it's great to be invited. So thank you. And we have um, the stalwart, the regular um, Harlan, who was there at, when I started doing vlogs, what, about four years ago and almost was the first man to appear and has been a regular ever since. He was down at Tottenham this weekend. Uh, and so we've got loads to, to talk about. Obviously, I know you were thrilled about going down to Tottenham at the weekend, Harlan, weren't you? In, yeah, spite yeah. Of the result, in spite of the result. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, what an experience. Uh, fantastic ground. I'm a I'm a stadium enthusiast. I remember spending many many years as a kid looking on. I think it was what was the website back in the day? Was it WorldStadiums.com? Looking at all the new stadiums that were going to be built. That was just something I did as a kid. Um, massive architecture fan. Never wanted to study it. Was never one of my things. But I I, I appreciate stadiums. On the way back from Tottenham, myself and you were talking about some of the stadiums that you'd like to visit or that you visited with your family and friends. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm the same. I, 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 you know, at the end of the day, I said to you in the car on the way back last night, um, the only thing that matters to me is that you've got somewhere to sit and that there's a, a bit of beautiful green grass in the middle with 22 players on at any one time and that the football can be played. But the aesthetics around that and how things look as human beings, we all have this eye for something that looks nice. And I think that Tottenham Hotspur Stadium is one of those that I've ticked off now. It's not only one of those stadiums I've not been to, but one of those most beautiful stadiums in the world that I'll be definitely recommending to those people for both events and football matches. Absolutely. I mean, as a person who 
throughout my adult life has been obsessed with attending football matches, uh, home and away with City since I was a teenager, um, having seen all of the grounds around the country and having spent 18 months just like everybody else, either just going to the occasional game that I was lucky enough to go behind closed doors or having to watch on TV. The last weekend, I was doing some commentary for Bolton Wanderers, for, for Bolton FM at Wimbledon on Saturday. Fabulous game. Wimbledon back at their old ground. It was heartwarming stuff. Then Saturday, uh, Sunday, albeit that I'm a blue, and clearly I wanted City to win and it wasn't the best result. But to be back inside a 60,000 capacity stadium, the noise from the crowd, the, the passion, it felt like the game was a bit different to me. You know, that there were, there were more tackles that were allowed to happen because of the intensity of the crowd. Now, I know some City fans have been a little bit upset by the fact that maybe a couple of the tackles might not have been allowed maybe behind closed doors. And that might have made the difference. But I love, I absolutely love the cut and thrust of proper, passionate, hard tackling football. What, what do you think, Trev? I mean, you 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 saw a lot of games behind closed doors. Yeah. Now you've seen it return. It is different, isn't it? It's different. Yeah, the atmosphere, the fans absolutely make um, make football and the football or the version of football we fell in love with, uh, and we've missed that the last eighteen months. But I would say. Um, just talking about the challenges, uh, not just in the Manchester City game at Tottenham, but also over the weekend, um, starting off with Friday night at Brentford against Arsenal. Again, men against boys. A few tackles were let, let go. I thought the officiating has been great. We followed on from the Euros, which I think is important because it was getting a joke. You know, any kind of contact players were going over, they were getting fouls. And it's, for me, it's cheating. I was always try, I always try to stay on my feet. And sometimes that was impossible when people are coming in like two footed waist high in my era. I'm glad the game's moved away from that because I think we've got to safeguard the talented players, the, the players that excite the fans, the players that get fans off the seat and like the hairs on the back of their neck. But it went too far where literally any kind of contact and players were going down and being awarded fouls. So hopefully they've got a happy medium now where the slightest contact, they're not going to give fouls. Um, I do feel though, looking back at the Manchester City game, when they visited Tottenham at the weekend. Um, yeah, I was a bit disappointed with Anthony Taylor because, like I just mentioned, we've got to safeguard players. And I think it was the fifth occasion I was thinking uh, Tanganga's definitely got, got to go in the book now because he's a great... Listen, I, you know, I've played against aggressive players, but if you continuously keep on fouling the same player and keep on giving fouls away, the referee's got a, a responsibility to safeguard the player. He didn't do that. He gave him chance after chance after chance. And I think we were into five and six fouls before we spoke to Loris. And then I think the damage was done. He put a little bit of fear in Raheem. Raheem, you know, it's not like he put him off his game. You almost think like the ref's letting him get away with anything. So I think that did change the dynamic down that left-hand side. Um, but in the end, I think Tanganga obviously won that duel. Uh, Raheem was subdued a little bit after that. Um, but I do think Anson Taylor probably took it a little bit too far and he probably should have booked Tang Tanganga. But all in all, you know, we were, we were a little bit off. We were a little bit beige on the day. I thought, I thought we we huffed and puffed in the final third. Defensively, I thought we were shambles at times on the counter-attack. You know, you've always got to feel when Manchester City have got such a, a, a large amount of possession, I think it was 65, 66%. You've always got to organise and Ruben Diaz does that really well. Um, but I just feel some of the... Well, I mean, I don't like to dig out players, but... I think Benjamin Mendy's had too many chances. You know, popular boy, funny, and I know he's had injuries. I've had the same injury. I had it at 23. Now you either have to adapt 
and find a different way to be successful at football, or you're going to get ended end up on the on the dumpy. But at the moment, he's not adapting and he's making mistakes. He doesn't look like he's as fit as he could be for me. You know, you look at the goal, he, he manages just to get back in. And by the time he gets back in, he's put, what, 10 yards be, behind uh, Nathan Aki, who goes to try and squeeze Son. Son comes inside on his left-hand side, inside, which is more central. That's the trigger for the player who's supporting him to go a little bit tighter, close that gap and, and limit the chances of, of the ball going in the back of the net. He can't even move because he's so tired. So for whatever reason, he doesn't look ready. Um, and I think he's, he's had so many chances. For me, it's one of that. I'm sure Man City fans uh, are not pleased with him. And uh, anytime he plays, they're feeling, you know, going forward, he can put a decent crossing, but you need to be able to defend. And three of our back four weren't, weren't in the team. And I, I almost thought before the game, there's a chance that we could get beat today. And that's exactly how it panned out. It's a fine line, isn't it, Trevor, between um, criticising a player, which we're all entitled to do, but also as supporters and as human beings, and I don't want to sound soft about this, but I'm very well aware of mental health. I've, I've, it's something that I care a lot about. Yeah. And we've talked about it with other people on the pod, that Benjamin Mendy is a human being. He is mm. a pl person, a human who goes out and tries his best and cares. And he will be hurt by the criticism that he's had. But at the same time, whilst we want to support them because they're wearing a sky blue shirt, we also have to be honest um, so it's, it's a difficult one. It's one Pep's got to sort out because Zinchenko, who at the moment is the, the deputy, you might say, still isn't a natural left back. And a lot of fans have said they need to move Mendy on and bring in another left back. But A, it's not easy to move a player on who's in, in you know, got good wages. Uh, and, and secondly, you know, who do you get at, at, at the moment? I mean, what do you think about the criticism he's getting. If that was you, it'd hurt you, wouldn't it? Yeah, but I think if it was me, um, and I have been there, you know, when I was playing for QPR, I got my knee injury, came back, didn't have the same sharpness, didn't have the same uh, burst of uh, pace, didn't have the same agility, didn't have the same balance. So you have to do something about it. So what I did is every day after training, I went to the gym, worked on my leg strength, worked on my core, worked on my physical presence, did extra work, doing running, cycling, cross training, everything to get my weight down to take the stress off my knee to get myself as fit as I could be to give myself the chance to then start getting any not even anywhere near the performance but get into a performance that I, I was happy with um, and that kind of happened at the time I, I probably was working six months on my own like literally every day after training apart from a Friday I'd go or apart from the day before a game I'd go and train on my own as well and then I was just getting back into it and that's when I got the mood to West Ham and on my debut for West Ham it was almost like all that effort came out and I scored a brace on my on, on my debut and and that ended up being the start of me getting my way back into being recognised for England and getting back into that squad but it doesn't just happen this is what I'm saying Ian and it, you know it, what was in the injury three years ago four years ago it's been too long now I say like I was looking at Van Dijk on sun, uh, Saturday I was at the game at Norwich and I was watching Van Dyke because I've had the same injury as that, the cruciate ligament. And even though you come back after a year and you think you've done everything, you, you, you've ticked every box, you you know, you, you physio, the physio who's, who's, who's rehabbed you is your best mate because you trust him. You, you haven't got a clue. He's done this many, many times. So you put your health and your, your fitness into his hands and you trust him. And in the end, you end up having a great relationship. But even when you come back and you've done the running, you've done the doggies and you've done all the hard graft, you come back, you're nowhere near. 
So that's why then you have to go and do extra work yourself. And when I was watching Van Dyke, I thought, yeah, it's great. He's done all the work. He's got the best support, best medical staff around him. But on a few occasions, I just watched him and you could just see his, his profile, the way he moves, he's not the same. Now it's going to take, a t- I think they've got to be careful with him because if they push him too much and want him to play every game week in, week out, you know, I'm concerned that that could end up be going against um, Virgil. So yeah, no, it's very difficult to come back. But again, enough, we've seen him over the last two or three years play, make mistakes, look uneasy on the ball, not look the fittest, not look the sharpest. If he's not going to change anything with the way he's preparing, the way he's physically preparing himself for matches, then the performance is not going to tra- change. And I think I think that's a talent in itself. That's actually looking at yourself in the mirror and thinking, that was not the best. That wasn't good enough. That's not good enough for Manchester City. What am I going to do to change that? And that it, only he can do that. You know, it doesn't matter what um, fitness um, people he's got around him to help him, to support him he knows that he has to do more because at the moment, his level of performance is not good enough for Manchester City. I'll come to Harley in a moment who, who look at this just from a fan's perspective. I don't know whether you've had Benjamin on stage or interacted with him, Nigel, but when you've met the guy, I haven't. That also influences, you know, if you think, oh, he's a good guy and I yeah. like him and everything, you'll be reluctant to criticise him. And, and there are a lot of fans who are being critical, but there are others saying, as long as he wears a blue shirt, I'm behind him. Is it not difficult for you? And what, what's your view of Benjamin Mendy? It's it's a tough one for, for Mendy. I mean, taking on board everything that Trevor says, I, I completely get that. And there's a lot of frustration because the player that we signed, he's never been since the injury. But like Trev says, it's been it's been three years since that now. This summer, he's not been involved in any international tournaments or anything. He's he's had a he's had a good opportunity to get his fitness levels as good as they can be. And uh, you know, this was his this was his chance. The, the fact when you when you started to see the players go back and he'd been there and he was one of the first back I, I, I had this I don't know if it was more hope or uh, just a positive feeling that he was he was going to come out firing this this year I mean as a person I, I don't know if you've seen the new uh, documentary the, t- the together documentary even how he is within that squad and the way that he he's just a, a, a big personality um, but the, the the squad's full of big personalities now and uh it, it, I, I, I'm just really frustrated now with him uh, playing for City. I mean, to, to be honest as well, he's never been a solid rock at the back. Uh, his qualities lie when he's when he's flying forward and he does put in a, an incredible delivery. But I don't know. It's um, I just thought this summer would be the summer that we actually went out looking for a, a left back because it's, it, unfortunately, whether it's injury or not, it's not really worked out for him at City. City lost at Tottenham. Are we blaming Nigel Benjamin Mendy for that defeat, no. or is, it, is it more complex than that? No, definitely, it's more complex than that. I mean, look, we, we, we've come back. We're playing a big team in Tottenham. Uh, the squad is uh, not a hundred percent at all. A lot of the a lot of the players only came back a, a week uh, a week or two ago. The, it does take time to get yourself back up. We've got a few players injured, um, but. Uh, it wasn't just Mendy's fault. I mean, like again, going back to what Trev said, you could you could fault him for the goal, um, but it just it just wasn't wasn't meant to be on Saturday. And I think because I know, I know it's about City, it's about how we play and the results. We you know it's all about us. But going into that game as well as fans, 
the results that uh, that happened around us, the Rags having a great result, um, you know, Liverpool having having a fantastic result, all those teams that are going to be there and thereabouts winning, it just added that early pressure. I know it's game one, but you, you, automatically it it hurt not getting the win. But let's not let's not get carried away. It, it, one game in, there's a long way to go. Uh, we've got we've got Norwich up next. A lot of players are going to be uh, more fresh, more fit, and uh, I'm not worried by that at all. It was just great to be to, to be back. To be honest. Most sensible people will agree with what you're saying, Nigel, and I could see Trevor sort of nodding along. I'm going to play devil's advocate because my job is to ask questions and to, you know, to move the debate along. The fact is that City have just lost three successive games, 1-0. Harlan, is that a concern? I mean, obviously this was one defeat at, at Tottenham, but the previous game was a Community Shield. It was a 1-0 defeat against Leicester. The previous game before that was a Champions League final, a 1-0 defeat against Chelsea. And if you actually go further, City, of course, lost in the FA Cup semi-final, 1-0 again to Chelsea. Are City vulnerable against the big clubs, given that <coughs> Tottenham are a big club and it was passionate and it was, you know, the opening day of the season to these 1-0 setbacks? Is, is there something missing in City's character or are you with the sort of general view, which is, you know, that this is one league defeat and lots of players are coming back and things will, will be fine in the end? I think Pep's very, very scared of us uh, being hit on the counter-attack, which, which Trevor highlighted right at the start of his analysis of the game yesterday. And I think that he's, he's frightened to death of us giving the ball away, which means that he wants us to to keep possession for as long as possible, even when chances present themselves to, to, to get a shot off or, or to, to, to kind of take that chance at face value. Um, we almost, again, and I, I relate back to even last season, the 17-18 season at times, the 100-point season, the season after that, 98 points, we still overplay. So we could have scored 120 goals in 17-18, but sometimes we, we choose not to take the chance and, and we, and we choose to recycle the ball around the box um, and, and not, not necessarily, you know, hit the ball or take our chances. I think Pep is very, very cautious and that's translated now and, and, and the, the, the players are, are kind of maybe taking that too literally at times as well and maybe not wanting to, to give the ball away, which means that therefore we, we maybe aren't as direct as we could possibly be at times in a game and, you look at Spurs yesterday, they could keep possession. Um, they are primarily a counter-attacking side now, uh, especially with a lot of sides trying to imitate the way we play, but maybe not got it down to as much of a tee as we have. But then you look at Spurs and they can change it up. And I think in a weird kind of way, I, the last time I was on with Trev, I was saying the same thing. I can't remember what we were talking about exactly, but we 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 know we could counter-attack. We know we could play more direct, but we choose to stick to the plan. And sometimes that can actually be our downfall that we we don't have what other teams have in the sense of we can we can change it up in different spells and we can maybe go more direct or we can maybe play you know the ball out wide instead of Pep wanting to kind of keep that nucleus in the middle of the pitch. And I just kind of feel that because he's so thorough and methodical with what he does, which I'm sure we've all got perfectionalistic you know traits within us. Sometimes there's a stubbornness and it's not a criticism of him, but he actually gets his point across to the players. The players take it literally and it ends up being kind of 
such a scripted game of football, if you want to call it that, that there's no improvisation in the play. And when you've got players like Grealish, Folden, um, Sterling, etc., that are free spirits, that, that are street footballers that want to run at people. And Mares, for example, that wants to be silky and, uh, you know, chop players and turn players and work the ball and show what he's got, show why he's Riyad Mahrez. Otherwise, you may as well have every player the same. Every defensive midfielder in the world is just a defensive midfielder. They aren't the unique player that they are. And it, it somewhat limits the players to show what they are and why they are the player they are for me. I don't know. If that's an expansive answer. I'm sorry for that. I don't want to bore Nigel and Trev. But that's just an overall view of what I've got. And it's been something that's nagged at me for years. I think in general, Harlan, I think that is the case. But I mean, I was lucky enough to be at the PSG semi-final home leg. And the goal that they scored on the counter-attack where um, I think it was Edison played a long ball over. They were under a bit of pressure, played a long ball over down the line, into the box, Mares goal. The adulation amongst the players and the coaching staff and the doctors and all the you know backroom staff was unbelievable. I do think that he, he has a scripted way of playing, and you know you, you go and you go down the right, and it's not it's a, they've got too many bodies there, so they recycle the ball and they'll try and you know penetrate down the left, and they'll just keep it doing. I don't mind that, but I think he has got an organic thinking, and he it does give the boys freedom that when it is on to counter attack, when they've committed enough bodies forward, you can do that. I think the problem we have is most teams don't overcommit players because they're scared. Yeah. And that's why we don't have the opportunity to counteract. When you're playing against PSG, they're thinking they've got every right. You know, they've, they've got big players as well. They think, yeah, let's let's push more bodies forward. Then we get the opportunity to counter that. But a lot of the teams that we play in the Premier League won't do that. And I think that's why we don't see it. So it must be frustrating for the players, the management as well. But when you've got a team that's so fearful of the, the tools and the, the weapons that Manchester City have got going forward, they're always, instead of leaving two back, they'll leave four back. And they'll always have that extra safety there, whereas PSG really went for it. Before Nigel comes in with his next point, Trev, sorry, on that, um, you know, when, like yesterday, when Son, when Son cuts inside Aki, and yeah. Mendy's obviously trying to cover for Aki, Son's first thought in his mind was, let me get onto my left foot, let me try and get a yard, and I know exactly where I'm going to try and plant this ball. He wasn't looking for Hoiberg. He wasn't looking to go back inside. He wasn't even, the, 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 the square pass wasn't even on his mind to try and work it to the left-hand side. The right-hand side was overpopulated for Spurs. So he's, he's took the shot on. Our players seem frightened to death of, 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 of taking the shot on in case they waste possession or it gets blocked and, and, or, or Lloris gathers nicely and they get going again. And I think it links back to what Thierry Henry said about Pep on Sky mm. way back in the day about... Omri moving from his position, not trusting his, his teammates to find him. He scored the goal, he put Barca 1-0 up, he took him off. Do you think that's like a, a thing from the players' perspective of, we know that we could go and win this game 3-0 if we do what we believe is right in the moment, but we know the gaffer's going to bollock us for that afterwards. Yeah, but what you have to think about, Haaland, is you think, like, so firstly, look at company when he scored the goal against Leicester. When you have a deep block against you, which at times a lot of teams do against Manchester City, if you don't use the pop shot from 20, 25 yards as a, maybe not as a, like, listen, you're trying to score, but if you don't use that as a tactic to try and pull somebody out, it's like boxing. If you want to smash them in the head, you're going to tap away at the belly. So you're going to try and do the opposite to what you want to get a reaction. And I think yeah. that's reminders from the coach. So the coach will have said that, Pep will have said that to him and his coaching staff. You know, if they've got a really deep block. If you get time to get the ball out your feet 20 yards out, let's start letting a few shots go. 
because I'm not I'm not a big fan of Loris anyway, and I think we'd have a great chance of scoring. But again, it's first game of the season. These are little reminders that they will engrave into their way of thinking. Yeah. But I think just because it's so early in the season, they've took obviously Jack's having to take on a lot of information, a lot of um, different tactical things. But I think as they get into it, that yeah. will become a normal thing in their arsenal. Yeah. But at the moment, they're not not quite up to speed. That's a bit of a tactical chat, wasn't it? Yeah, that was good. That. <laughs> I just, did, did Nigel want to come in on any of that? Because you were listening intently, weren't you? No, no. Listen, I was, I was enjoying everything. Everything everyone was saying. It, it's, it's really interesting. It is. I mean, yesterday as well, when the game started, it started fast pace. It was, it was brilliant. Like some, you know, some of the, some of the football was amazing for that first ten minutes, and maybe that is a fitness thing. I, I'd say even more than ten minutes. But for the first half, there was some fantastic football, and then. Um, you know, they Tottenham got more into the game, and and it just it just went downhill a bit. But you know, I just think that uh, with the players that are coming back, with with, with the addition of Grealish, um, you know, is there going to be a striker? Is there not going to be a striker? Uh, it's uh, it, it's it's going to be a very very exciting season. But the uh, the competition this season as well is a lot better than it's been for many many years. There's not many chances to slip up, so uh, it's all about getting the result next game now and, and moving on. Well, obviously, the the subject we we need to talk about now is strikers. Uh, as we're recording this on Monday evening UK time, uh, there is no conclusion to the Harry Kane saga. So us trying to second guess what's going to happen, even though it seems apparent that Kane will come. It's, I don't want to focus too much on that. But the question that every City fan has been saying now, probably for, for two years since Aguero's injury problems started to surface and he wasn't playing regularly, is City desperate? Well, this is the argument that they would put forward that City desperately need a striker, and that even at Tottenham or even in the other games, that there were players playing balls into areas where a natural inverted commas striker would be playing. So, let me ask you the general question rather than the specific. Only you can talk about Kane if you want, but you know, do City need an out and out striker? Simple question. Who wants to go with that one? Um, right, so I played quite a lot of my career as a striker, um, usually when, when I was at Blackpool with Dave Bamber, and as a, I went through my career with Les a little bit at QPR, then with Paolo or different players when I was at West Ham. And I have to say, and even at Cardiff towards the end of my career, and I have to say, it's one of the most difficult positions, especially if you're a one, to play. Positionally, you need to know when to run in behind and stretch, when you've got to get your body in the way and come to feet and be an option there, where you always need runners beyond you anyway when you're playing the ball back. And I just think it's such, you know, it's such a difficult position to master. Um, and especially in such a, a, a tactical team like Manchester City under Pep. Um, I, I do feel, you know, playing players like Torres um, or, you know, Mares at times or... Bernardo or Kevin De Bruyne, even the, the brilliant player and the brilliant mind that he's got, it's a very difficult. In that, yeah, it's it? a it's an unbelievably difficult position to master. Um, so the, to, to answer your question, I would say we do need. If you're not going to play Jesus there, who's the nine, who, who can play nine, and he has played nine and he plays nine for Brazil. If you're not going to play him there, one, I don't know where he's at. Heads up, heads up, because if that was me, I'd be fuming. Um, so. There's a lot of man management and reassurance that has to go on there if Pep wants to keep him at the football club. And two, 
for me, they were talk, bigging up Torres on the TV, the commentators. I thought it was an inept performance. I thought he had a couple of chances. I thought his movement was way off. You know, the natural movements, just a little bit of reverse movement or coming to feet and then, you know, getting the centre-half up your backside and then spinning out or looking like you're coming, say the ball's on the left, and then spinning out for the diagonal. These are all natural movements for a natural number nine. Torres is not doing that because he's not a natural number nine. Now, you ordinarily, I think we give him the benefit of the doubt because he has been a clinical finisher while he's been at City. Even though he's not had lots of opportunities, he has been clinical. So he's obviously got an eye for goal. But what I would say is, I thought he went. He got lost in the game. He got lost in the game. Tottenham did a good job either screening him or making sure that he didn't make the movements behind by dropping deep or having a high line. Whatever it was, I just thought he was quite ineffective. And it was, it was brutally honest and obvious that we do need a number nine. So I'm going to ask you the Kane question in the sense that, you know, a lot of people have talked about Haaland, Erling Haaland, who yeah. is, I would suggest, more of a, an old, I don't like to use this term, but an old-fashioned centre-forward. You know, uh, he knows what his job is. He plays in a particular position. Um, we, yes, he does the, all the things you're talking about, but he is a, an out-and-out striker. Whereas, arguably, and certainly I think, Pep would use this argument. Harry Kane can play that role, but also understands the intricacies of the passing in and around the box and can drop off and let somebody run into his position. Is that why he seems to be so keen, Pep, to sign Kane? And would Kane be the answer in this City team? If he's fit, I think he would be. He's a clever player. He's a, he's a big boy. So he's hold up play. Uh, he's second to none. I, can, I am concerned about his injuries and his age. Um, but what I would say is it's quite a, it's quite rare that you can get a, a lad who's brilliant with his link-up play, can drop in and has good, great range of passing and also is a fox in the box when the ball goes in there. He's good in the air. He's got everything, Harry Kane. He has, you know, when he's on song, we've, we've witnessed it. He's scored many goals against us. Um, he has got everything and it, it's obvious that he would, um, he, he would fit in perfectly to our... Uh, formation to our philosophy um, and and yeah you know I think he, he would be a hit if he came to the club it's just the amount of money that, that they're having to fork out for him with his age and with his injury history concerns me as you know as a fan um, but I think when you when you're talking about ticking boxes he ticks a when he's fit he ticks a hell of a lot of them boxes. If Kane comes in it's going to cost either a shed load of money, which isn't our problem. There's people looking from the outside, as long as it meets the requirements of FFP and everything, which is what Pep's been uh, saying to the press. Um, or it's going to involve either player exchange deals or other players going out. I'm looking at Laporte yesterday, sitting on the bench, and I'm thinking, why is he not in the team here? Why? I, I, I'm not saying Laporte's perfect. No player's perfect. But to me, Laporte should have started that game. I'm a big fan of Bernardo Silva. Don't particularly want to see him go. He's one of those that's been talked about as potentially going, either as a make-way or somewhere else to generate the finance. Gabriel Jesus could also be another one that could be used as part of, of this deal. Um, how convinced are you, Nigel, about Kane? And, and the, you know, Trevor's said it without emphasising it too much. It is a lot of money. He has got injury record he is 28 so there are concerns around that would you put all your eggs if you like or all your Jesuses and Bernardos in that basket it's a it's a weird one really because I mean if he's if there was a guarantee that he was going to stay fit he's he's a proven 
world-class striker. He, he scores a ridiculous amount of goals. Like you say, he gets involved. He's, he, he gets loads of assists. He would be brilliant up front for Man City. I would love it. And uh, yesterday it was bizarre. It was almost like it was was meant to be, wasn't meant to be, in that there was a, about three or four opportunities that just so happened to happen against Tottenham, where if we'd have had Kane playing up front, we, we could have scored three or four goals yesterday. It was crying out for a Kane, more so than in past games. You know, it, it really highlighted it. Uh, going to on to, to the other players, I mean, Gabriel Jesus yesterday must have... Um, you know, I mean, when he sees Torres get a start ahead of him, he must be thinking to himself, what's going on here? You know what I mean? Like Trev said, he should be, he's got to be knocking on Pep's door or he just knows that his time's numbered, his days are numbered at City. If you're not getting a start and you're a number nine ahead of Torres, uh, as good as Torres is and as clinical as he was towards the end of last season, it's uh, it's a worry. It'd be a massive worry if, if you were Gabriel. Um uh, the other thing is as well, Bernardo, an, an amazing player. If he wasn't linked with a move away from the club, I'm sure he would have come on yesterday uh, and got some minutes. But, you know, you can read into that what you want as well. Uh, there's going to be changes. And uh, at 120, 50 million, it's a lot of money for a player of his age with, with, with the injury history that was said. But if anyone's got the cash, it's Man City and we need a striker. We can't go into this season without signing a striker, in my opinion. Would you sacrifice Laporte? I mean, Laporte is the one... I mean, I, Laporte... I mentioned the others, but Laporte, it, to yeah. me, he had to play yesterday. Yeah, but Laporte, I mean, I don't know whether it was isolation or something. He, he was late coming back to training, don't forget, Ian. So he uh, he, 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 was, he was available and then he was... He, I think he might have had to isolate for 10 days. Who knows? what's going on in this weird world that we're living in. Mm. But otherwise, I think he would have been a certainty to start ahead of Ake. Uh, however, uh, you know, I, I, I for one, I, I would love Laporte to stay. I mean, John Stone's had an amazing season last year. Let's not forget about the year before. Laporte has been a brilliant signing for Manchester City. I think he's a brilliant centre-half. I think if we can keep him, Stones and Diaz, those three options, uh, I mean, that's that's amazing cover. And, and I can't think of anyone assigning, a, a, a you know, those three are solid. And I think we'd be, we'd be we, if we can keep hold of Laporte, basically keep hold of him. He's a brilliant player. Harlan. Mm. Uh, well, yeah, on the Laporte thing, to weaken ourselves defensively, to gain a striker doesn't make any sense to me. It just adds to the imbalance then in, in, in the team. Yeah. And 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 Emerick is 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 so such such like Nigel said eloquently. Then such a good player all round. We'll go back right to the very start. His first ever game at home. We did a vlog. All right, I was wet through. I was dripping wet, sitting in the south stand, row one. Himself and our Jess uh, wet through. And Ian says, "Go on, give us what you you know, give us what you thought of that." And I'm thinking, Ian, I need a radiator. And I said <laughs> to you, "Look, Emerick debut." He's by far the best centre-half I've seen here since Vincent Company, And that was after one game. Yeah. And I had City fans saying, how can he be saying that? It's only played one game. I'd seen him at Bilbao. Do you know what I mean? What a, what a football player. And he's got this kind of... He's such a big centre-half. So he looks old-fashioned in the sense, like you said about Haaland, a big presence. He's got like a baby face. But then he's like a wonderful ball-playing centre-half that's very elegant and kind of prances around the back line. So, And I mean that in a good way, by the way. So he's, he's, he's just a really nice player to watch. And like you say, you've got John Stones, who's 
an English ball playing centre half who's you know got that old school heart of a lion type mentality. You know, he's from Barnsley, he's from Yorkshire, he's got that kind of you know earthiness about him, if you want to call it that, that realism. You've got Diaz, who's you know got that Portuguese grit and determination. Not to be you know talk about nationality here, but I mean he's got that grit and determination. He's experienced. He's playing in the Portuguese national team. You know, he's 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 a big personality and he's also got a quietness to him. And then you look at Eric and like I said, you've got his characteristics. And to have all three of them, you've got a different kind of player in each of them, but they all complement each other in different partnerships. And I think, yeah, to, to lose him would be awful. Um, sorry about Kane. One thing Pep would have to get his head around, even though he's the one that's saying he'd like Kane, I believe, is that when we do get in positions, which I was talking about before, Trev, that, that Kane will let, let fly um, and may not want to play that extra pass. And that might be something that has to be kind of compromised between him and Pep, where he'll say, well, the chances are I'm going to want to crack this. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> in this situation. And there was times yesterday where we got in positions, which Nigel made, made uh, clear, where I think a Kane would have cracked it or he would have gone for the far post or he would have tried to replicate the Aguero manoeuvre, as I said to you in the car on the way home, where Aguero will back into a defender, take a touch, run across the box into the D and then crack one into the far post, top corner. Um, there's not many players in the world can do what Aguero did, did or does, but Kane would probably hit more shots and be less likely to recycle or work the ball across the box. So it's one of them. I think we do need a striker. I agree with the lads. And, you know, I'm, I'm warm into the idea of Kane, but you know how much of a fan of Latoro Martinez I am. And if he was to go to Spurs, I'd be a bit annoyed uh, for 65 million. And yet we're paying double for Kane. Um, I think Martinez is like Aguero, Mark II. And I think I had a, was it a rumour or whatever, Aguero had maybe mentioned him to Pep about a year and a half ago and said, when I go have a little look at Latoro, he's going to be 23 at the time. He's Argentinian. He plays with me for the Argentina national team. And uh, he's built the same way. Low centre of gravity and he's he's a, he's a good goal scorer. So, I don't know. Listen, we haven't got control over it anyway. If we sign Kane, we've got to get behind him. And like going back to what you said about Mendy, he's in a blue shirt then. So, I suppose we've, we've got to back it and hope that he does his best for us. Can I just pop yeah. in there? Just, just on the back of that, like from listening to all all of us really talk about the potential of Kane coming to Manchester City. Why are we so underwhelmed when he's got unbelievable numbers? Mm. Why? I, 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 don't, I just don't know. We should be... Take the, take the personality of the player and everything out of it. If you said he scored 168 goals in 250 games, we're going to get this player. We should be buzzing. Yeah, I think it's the price. I think it's the price. I think it's the price. I do. I just. I think it's that price and the fact that hundred million is a ridiculous amount of money. Uh, more than not, that. Yeah, that's what I mean. And 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 the fact that it's got to be more than that, mm. and it could be 120, 150, and you start thinking then about other players that there are, and it's it's a hell of a lot of money. He is an amazing player. But it's that money for me. That's why people I, like I'll, the I'll, I'll tell you another factor, actually, because there were people around me talking about <coughs> Grealish during the game. And they were saying, and I know it's only one game. I know it's only one Premier League game. And you can't make too many assumptions from one game. But I overheard people around me saying, he looks like he's playing with the weight of the world on his shoulders with a no. massive expectation because yeah, of the I fee. Don't... 
Now, you're, you're an ex-player, Trev, so you can shoot all that down if you want. But if Kane comes for 150 million or whatever, does he have a big on his shoulders? Or no, does that I, not affect you as players? I don't think... I, I didn't see that um, in Grealish's performance. I seen a, a, a performance where he had a target on his back, the most expensive British player. There was a lot of ratting around him and he thought, I'll deal with this. He stepped up. I thought he stepped up. He was a man on the day. Listen, we didn't get the result, but I, did, I thought he, he didn't shirk anything. Um, he wasn't a shrinking violet and, and he played the way he plays. You know, if it wasn't for the foul, just on the outside of the box, just on the edge of the box, I think he's through there. He walks his past a couple of players, centrally. I think he's through and more often than not, he'll probably slot that as well. Um, just going back on the Kane thing, <clears throat> I don't think Kane either will because I think he, he he's, so, he's so confident in his own ability uh, in an understated way because he's not a flash boy. He gets the job done. He, he you know he keeps things simple. Um, so I think I think on that that side of things, I don't think Kane will um, crumble under the weight of being a hundred thirty million pound player. But what I would say, and I thought it was quite interesting that when when Chelsea agreed to sell Tammy Abraham's to Rome to Roma that they put a buyback clause only a year later for, for, for 80 million euros. Now I said at the time when we were talking about strikers and I agree with you, I, I like the, I like the boy uh, that you mentioned earlier, uh, Harland. Um, but if we were going to get someone who's proven in the Premier League, I thought Tammy was a great option. Young, I think he missed out last year because he was ready to score a lot of goals. He's 23 years old. I think he's ready to go to the next level and have a really big season. And I think that's why Chelsea put an 80 million euro buyback clause on him because although they're letting him go begrudgingly because they've got Lukaku in and maybe that was part of their bigger plan, I think that they think that he not he's not, he's not going to embarrass them now because they put that buyback clause on him. But I think they they're not sure whether he's going to absolutely take off, and that's why they put the buyback clause. I was quite excited about him if we could have brought him into our reckoning and possibly brought him to the club because that excited me because there's a little bit of jeopardy in there that he might not work out. But I've seen him play in the young England levels. I've seen him come through at Chelsea. Obviously, we've all seen him at Villa and what he's done at Chelsea last season, early doors. Um, yeah, I think he's going to be a player. He's got everything. Again, he's tall. He, he doesn't mind running in behind. Technically, he's good. He's strong. He's going to improve. He's a number nine. It's, like I mentioned earlier, it takes a lot of time to really master that number nine position. But I think he's gone along uh, amongst his work, amongst his craft learning about that position. He'll learn over there because he's playing against good defenders as well in Italy. And I think he will be the real deal. Ian, uh, just one more thing on what Trev said, just to answer it. I feel rude if I didn't now. Um, with the uh, with the Kane thing again, I think it is like, like Nigel said, maybe the fee and the fact that the number's so big that that's the thing that people can't shirk. But other than that, maybe it is this thing about um, will Kane be able to adapt to the style of play in, in the final third. Um, and his numbers are fantastic. Um, but like I said, Tottenham very direct. And I was talking to Ian on the way back saying, Son and Kane are formidable together. Um, but Son performed yesterday without Kane. Will Kane be that great without Son? Mm. And, 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 it, and it's one of those things that I questioned and I thought, well, I think Son will have a fantastic career at Tottenham without Kane. If Kane moves on, will he miss that absolute teleport? that telepathy that he's got with, with Son and will our players be able to, to replicate that? Um, you know, Tal yesterday mentioned about the care move and said, it's like, is, you, is your wife leaving? Is she not? It's that kind of thing. And I suppose in that sense, it's more a case of 
you know, will will Kane's new girlfriend be better than his old one? <laughs> in in Jack Grealish <laughs> over Son, um, or something like that. But then I look at Jesus, just to touch on this before you come back in, Ian, is um, when Jesus came on yesterday, it was really mad. And I think this would annoy him even more to see that when he replaced Sterling, I thought, oh, there'll be a little change in role here. Yeah. Uh, he'll move inside, Torres might go on to the left, or he could even stick Mares on the left and then put Torres on the right like he plays for Spain or where he plays for Spain. And Jesus was on the left and he was drifting in as like an inside forward, but then going back out to the left where he sometimes plays for Brazil. And Torres stayed as a false nine. And I thought that was weird because I thought it was dying. It was crying out for that change in uh, sh- shape in a sense where Jesus was the out and out striker. And as the balls were coming into the six yard box, I thought, bring him on now and he'll start to sweep them up. And that didn't happen. So it was a weird one for me that. Final subject I want to talk about on, on the podcast um, is not specifically about the football. It's about the return to the Etihad, of course. And uh, there's been a lot of talk this week. And this is a difficult one, I suppose, for, for either Trevor or Nigel maybe to comment on. But City have introduced digital ticketing and there's been a lot of upset about, particularly from older fans, about this transition from a card that you would put in the turnstile to now downloading it onto a smartphone and trying to get through to the club. There's been a lot of Ferrari about it. And whilst I don't, I don't think any of us can really comment on that because we don't really know what it's like. Um, there is a lot of anxiety about it. Um, perhaps Harlan can start us off on this one. Presumably you've com- converted to a, a digital ticket. I know I'm, I'm a season ticket holder. I've got a, a digital ticket as well. So as the rest of my family. It took us a while. It took us a lot of hassle to get to that point. I mentioned last week on the podcast, a lot of people were are being stressed about it. Um, other people have said oh, it's a doddle and this is just the, the way forward. But with the COVID check, because you've got to prove now that you're either double jabbed or you know, you've got a certificate to prove that, or you've had a negative test within two days. There's going to be a lot of stress on people arriving at that Norwich game on Saturday. The one thing Nigel will be able to tell us is whether or not there's been any instruction to get people into the queues and into the ground earlier. But is that something that you have a view on, Harlan? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've done it. with Me and IGS have got our tickets on our phones now and we're ready to go. Um, I'd like to think I'm quite... Uh, digital. Um, I'm accepting of the, the new age of technology and everything like that. Obviously, my granddad Arnie not 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 so much. He's accepting of it, but I'm not sure he'll he'll take kindly to having to download a ticket to his phone and then having to ring me up and ask for instruction on how to get it up again or something like that. Maybe, but um, I suppose that is just the way that the world works. That as time moves on, things change and and we've got to move with the times. But at the same time, I also get the sentimental aspect of wanting to walk into a ground with your paper ticket so you can stick it in a frame or keep the ticket with the name of the team you're playing on and you put that with your programme and, you know, you get a player's signature, not so much at City nowadays because obviously those times have sadly moved on, but just the whole experience of having a paper ticket, having something tangible to hold and feel like that is what, you know, yesterday I had a Tottenham ticket behind. I kept looking at it thinking, game, you know, ticket for the game, ticket for the game. Uh, That makes me feel like I'm going. If it was on my phone, I'd almost feel a bit less like, where's my ticket? And then, oh, it's on the yeah. phone, isn't it? You know, you know what I mean? And um, the other thing as well is it's like um, the queues yesterday at Spurs were worrying um, in the sense that say you had to go somewhere in the morning, you would you would literally have to dash from wherever you were. And I, I know you and I make sure that the game is my priority on a Saturday. 
but it would become stressful and then it, it ruins the build-up to the game. So you'd have to go, I've got to get there three hours early because I've got to get in, etc. And it would ruin the, the, the casual stroll to the ground or the tram to the ground and everything else. So there's lots of aspects. Then there's the other thing of, you know, will it cause stress for people, which nobody wants. But one thing for me before the other two lads come back in rightfully, because I don't want to chew anyone's ear off, is <laughs> that... Um, for me, it was waking up and wondering if Postman Pat had been with my season card at the start of the season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Knowing that I might get a scarf or a pin badge or a little book or something like that. And, you know, we're not asking for freebies and stuff because at the end of the day, seeing City win is the biggest thing that I can ask for from the club. But it was just knowing that there was two Christmases every year you have your birthday Christmas and then you'd have your city season card drop off there. Do you know what I mean? And and it was just a nice thing to look forward to. And I get that because of COVID, et cetera, there's a lot of, you know, stuff about, you know, making sure that you, you send people, you know, if you send people stuff, you could transmit COVID and whatnot. But then I look at it and one of the biggest money-making companies during the COVID pandemic was Amazon. And they were actually a courier company that delivered parcels to people's houses so for me, if City were to say, well, we couldn't deliver your season cards because we were scared of transmitting COVID, well, Amazon should then have not been delivering parcels during the, the roughest part of the pandemic because that, for me, doesn't stand up. So it's a weird one, not to be critical of the club. I know the club are trying to go into the digital age and we're trying to make sure that we move with the times, but there's just a lot of upset surrounding it. I can't say I'm one of the most upset people, just a few bits don't sit right with me and it's kind of ruined the whole thing of getting your season card and knowing the season was on the verge of starting again. When I had my yeah. phone call from the club to get me ticket for the Tottenham game, um, the person on the other end had said to me, uh, oh, Tottenham are behind us. Um, unfortunately, I'll we'll have to send you a paper ticket. And I actually said, great. <laughs> and, and, you know, on the day, I had a ticket in my wallet. So as I walked to the ground, I was completely relaxed, just looking forward to the game. I can't deny that when I go to the Norwich game on Saturday, I am expecting there to be big queues. I'm, yeah. I'm even concerned. I'm, you know, I've got my phone here and I'm fairly digitally confident. And I went to the Everton game and used a digital ticket. But I'm still anxious that... I'll have to go in quite early. And what happens if my digital ticket doesn't work? Now, Nigel, you're you're in City Square on Saturday. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, has anybody said to you, because this is something that we've debated before on the podcast about does the City Square, as good as it might be, keep people from going into the ground early enough? And, and could it could it actually have a detrimental effect? That's not to put down what you do. But yeah. on Saturday, would it not be better to encourage people to, to do it all earlier because of the length of time it's going to take? Yeah, I mean, listen, it's it, it, the City Square thing is, is one of them things, isn't it? Some people absolutely love it. Some people uh, feel like it does stop people getting into the game. Uh, let me, let me, there's a, a few things are, on tickets that I, I, I have an opinion on. Uh, one is if you go to a concert now, whether it's at the MEN or, or, or wherever, you know, a lot of the time you, you, your ticket's on your phone. That's just, that's just the future, unfortunately, like it. 
all over it. That that's the way the world is going. I think the pandemic's probably um, given them a, a, an opportunity to maybe push something through that they wouldn't have done for a few years, if you like. But they they will do. Common sense says you're going to have to get there a bit earlier because whenever there's change, it comes with queues. Unfortunately, that's what happens. Uh, it's not just going to be that. I mean, it's obviously like you say the COVID passport and everything that's going on. There's going to be quite a lot of changes. It's the first time back in the Etihad for a full house for a year and a half. Uh, there's going to be there's going to be teething problems at every ground, not just at Manchester City. So obviously, get there early. Uh, going back to the to the nostalgia of, of season tickets. I mean, we've been on a card for a while. It's not been the same, uh, but I remember. I used to love getting my book and going to Main Road and waiting for the number to come up and knowing which number you were handing in. Season tickets have been a big part of going to, to, to City for years and years. And uh, and then it became a ticket and then it became a card. And and, and this is just the next change uh, in, in, in an evolving world that we live in. Do you know what I mean? Um, I obviously miss that dearly. And, and like you say, I remember leaving a ground and bumping into a City player or, or, or a manager. I remember seeing Mancini once at the Malmaison and I just got back from Wembley and him signing my ticket. And it was it was amazing. It's what it's all about, being a fan and getting someone to sign your ticket. It, there's nothing more special. You can still print it out. It's not the same, is it? It's just a... Mm piece of blooming A4 paper with the facts on that are going to get you in the game. But obviously, common sense says we've got to get there early. Uh, and, and and I think within a, a game or two or three, um, it'll be just like the old days of us getting in there. There's always been a bit of a queue, aren't there? Because people have stuff to do and it's not three o'clock on a Saturday every, every week anymore, is it? It changes all the time and people do have commitments, like we say we touched on before. But... Uh, I'm just excited. I can't wait to get back inside the Etihad. And this weekend, I said this briefly to you in the week, uh, Ian, uh, when you asked me to come on the podcast, every single home team this year, this this weekend had a massive advantage, more so than ever having that 12th man. The first game back in your, in your, in, you know, at home, sat on that seat, cheering on your team. It's our turn on, on Sunday, and on Saturday, should I say, and I can't wait. Saturday, City, I mean, forget the Tottenham result, Trevor. Forget the three 1-0 defeats in a row. City are going to tater Norwich on Saturday, aren't they? They're going to be full of confidence, going to be at home, going to have that back <laughs> in. They're far superior to Norwich. And that's not meant, if there's a Norwich fan listening to this, that's not meant as an insult. It's just the reality, isn't it? They're going to beat Norwich. Norwich will probably be one of the favourites to go down. It should be comfortable, shouldn't it? It should be, yeah, from what I've seen on Saturday against Liverpool. Um, they were quite threatening in the opening 20, 25 minutes, but I think once uh, Liverpool scored, you could see the belief, um, you know, really drain from the side. Um, and even when they were quite dangerous, they don't get enough men in the box. So there's not really that much jeopardy. Just going back to the, the te te technology, I mean, obviously I'm in media. I've had to evolve a lot quicker than a, I normally would do, you know, recording and broadcasting from home. So it's all new to me. What I would say, I think if, Manchester City is a very well-run football club. They should have some kind of support service for the older people to make sure that they can get them all like up to scratch with things. And if they can't, you know, within reason for the older folk, you know, make make a make make a change for them and, and give them tickets and send them tickets the traditional way or send them a card the traditional way. You don't want to lose fans, especially fans that supported the club through a lot 
different times than what we're experiencing now, you know, when we, you know, relegated and, you know, struggling to stay in the Premier League and things like that. They're the fans that, you know, they've put a lot of lot of their life and, you know, they're, they're, they're attached to the club emotionally. And, uh, you know, you don't want to lose them fans because they're the real fans. So I think the club should bend over backwards to make sure that they can help them whatever way they have to, whether it is tickets, whether it's a card, if they don't own a, a you know a smartphone, make sure that they, they can still go to games. And you know, it's never been an experience for me, obviously, playing all my life. And now, you know, I pick my QR code up when I'm going to broadcast games. So it's on my phone. So I've kind of had to evolve or I don't work. It's as simple as that. But when it's a fan and an elderly fan, I think we should do everything we can to make sure that they can get access to the games. Well, it's lovely to hear you as a as a former player. Um, and now an esteemed member of the media sticking up for the so-called legacy fans and the because I, I agree I mean we shouldn't forget the fans that are older uh, I mean one of my mates is you know he's in his 70s and he was watching City at the beginning of his his career if you want to call it that you know in the 50s you know he's, he's attended a 3,000 City games you know it's and he's been so stressed in the build-up to this game mm. Um, I don't want him and other people like him to be suffering from that stress and feeling that they've got to walk away because they can't cope with it. Uh, I, I hope uh, that the club understand the, you know, the seriousness of, of this and don't just think of them as a number and, you know, move on to another, oh, well, if they go, we get another one in and, and that's the problem solved. I hope that the heart of the club is still there. And if, if the people like you in the club, Trev, then, then I'm sure it'll be fine. Um, so thanks very much to the, to the three of you um, for giving me an hour of your time, which I really appreciate. Um, and obviously, thanks very much to charleslewy.co.uk for, for sponsoring the podcast. But Trevor Sinclair, former City player, Manx City fan. What, what more can I say? I praised you to high heaven before. I know, yeah. I'm, so, I'm blushing, I'm blushing. No, no, thanks. <laughs> Listen, thanks, Ian, for inviting me up. Cheers, Nige. Hope it goes well on Saturday. Um, and Thank hope you. to see you soon. I think I'm probably going to come down to a couple of them. And Harland, enjoy it. You and the missus, go down there, get behind the lads. And uh, I'm, I, I think I might take her for a meal. Like, like I saw you and yours on Twitter. So, yeah, that looked like a, a proper mint date night. Like I mean, I was in the doghouse, mate. I had to. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks a lot, Nigel. Good luck on Saturday. I'll give you a wave as I'm walking around doing the vlog. Cheers, um, and, Ian. And thanks very much to, uh, to Hartland, of course, my sidekick. Um, so thanks very much to everybody for listening, for downloading. Remember to share it, retweet it, get it out there, get all City fans uh, involved. And uh, as ever, uh, uh, you know, don't worry about the defeat at Tottenham. The only thing that really matters is it's great to be a blue.